0: Turn with me to the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, we're going to begin there this morning and we're going to finish Revelation chapter 1 starting with verse 9. Revelation 1 verse 9. We are going to <clears throat> deal with the coming persecution. The coming persecution which would be of the assembly of God, the coming persecution of God's assembly or His congregation. And I was back and forth on this as to what to, to title this this morning. I thought about titling it the Assembly of the Congregation or the Covenant Assembly or the Covenant Congregation. Back and forth, even all the way up to early this morning. And the Lord, be- He gave me come in persecution last night, and He confirmed it to me this morning. He gave me some more scriptures to go with this message today. So it's very, very uh, important for us to get this. Praise God. Amen. Revelation 1 and verse 9. And this, by the way, in chapter 1 is a preamble, it is set up according to a covenant. It is a covenant lawsuit, and this is the way most prophets in the Bible are laid out. They are laid out as a covenant lawsuit or a covenant document, and so you have a preamble, and then you have prologue history, and then you go on from there, and we'll get into that that, uh, structure of the covenant. Really without that structure, you really don't understand what's going on in the book of Revelation. What you try to do if you don't have that structure is go and piecemeal and try to find prophecy fulfillment in the book and not really understand the reason for the giving of the book. So anyway, this is a preamble of a covenant. It's a covenant lawsuit given by God. It's um, for the congregation of the Lord. And it's very, very important for us. So verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. By the way, the word tribulation, there is the same word that's used with the word great tribulation. And in the kingdom and patience or perseverance of Jesus Christ. Or let me read it again. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and perseverance in Jesus Christ. You see that? In Jesus Christ. So the tribulation is found in Jesus Christ, the suffering. The kingdom is found in Jesus Christ. He is the kingdom. and the endurance or the perseverance is in Jesus Christ. was in the owl that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, so literally seven menorah, not just one candlestick with seven branches, but literally seven menorah. And the Lord standing in the midst of them, okay. And in the middle of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-head sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me saying and unto me, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches or congregations or assemblies. Amen. The coming persecution. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now. We know, Lord Jesus, that you're here among us in our midst, Lord Jesus, just as you are seen in the book of Revelation, standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, bringing unity into that house, God, uniting all the church Your body together, Lord, in Yourself. We ask, God, that You would speak to us, Lord, in this word today. In Jesus' name, stir every heart, every mind, God, I pray, every spirit, and every person here today. God, to prepare, Lord Jesus, for things to come. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. We talked about the day of the Lord last week. Amen. Spend a heavy, heavy time in that. The day of the Lord, the time of judgment that's going to come. It is a time of salvation for the believer, but judgment for the wicked. We understand that, right? But what does that mean to us as the church? You know, we get excited about the book of Revelation and prophecy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because we like to, you know, the curiosity factor that comes with prophecy. But I'm going to show you today, according to the word of the Lord, why God gives prophecy. Amen. Especially in his in relationship to the day of the Lord that's going to come, the soon judgment upon the wicked and the salvation of the righteous. If we're in that generation that's going to see the tribulation or the seven-year period of tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, followed by the day of the Lord. If we are in that time, in that generation, this message becomes even more important to us. Knowing this about the day of the Lord, Hebrews 10:25. It tells us this, Hebrews 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The assembling or coming together to worship the Lord and hear his word preached. It says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. This is a warning from God. But exhorting one another. That means you're encouraging each other. You are literally, you've got a very powerful word of of exhortation to tell somebody to take a certain path. Amen. So we are to exhort one another, to encourage one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day of the Lord, the day or that day, as you begin to see that day approaching, he says this to the church, He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. And that's a very important thing for us to get a hold of because there's a lot of people today who are forsaking the assembling of themselves together. And they're not going to be ready for those things that are going to come upon the world. And you're going to see that today. Hallelujah. This is no time to be carnal or lukewarm or halfway with Jesus. It's just no time for that. In fact, I'm very concerned because, you know, the fruits of the Spirit are not seen in some of our lives. And, and I'm not just talking about, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. I'm talking about your praise and your worship and your desire to pray and your desire to come to the house of the Lord, your desire to serve Him. It's not on fire. It's, it's lukewarm. It's, it's halfway there. And, and uh, for some of you, it's because you don't even have the Holy Ghost. And that's even more serious. Praise the Lord. If I didn't have the Holy Ghost in this hour, I assure you, I would not leave the house of the Lord until I got it. Yeah. Amen. So, looking and knowing that the day of the Lord is near, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, Revelation 1.9. Watch what John says. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. We're going to talk about the persecution. There was persecution in the days of John. There was tribulation in the days of John. There's tribulation today. And there's the great tribulation that's going to come in the future. So John says he is our brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. Say the kingdom, which means there was already the kingdom of God then. There's the kingdom of God then, there's the kingdom of God now, and there's the kingdom of God in its ultimate sense to come. See, don't get trapped into thinking that the kingdom of God is just some dispensational future time. John says that he is in the kingdom at that time. He says that he's in the tribulation at that time. He says also that he is in the patience of Jesus Christ or the suffering, or the perseverance of Jesus Christ at that time. It's not just a future time that we need to look at, but the time of John, and now, and that which is to come. You've got to look at that, all right? Do you see that? Right now, we are a kingdom of priests. The ultimate kingdom of God is going to come with His second coming. But we are in the kingdom now because the kingdom is in Jesus. It's located in Him. (laughs) It's, It's not just a geographical place. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of God is found in the Holy Ghost, in the Spirit, not so much geographically as in the Spirit today. Now, ultimately, He will bring in the literal kingdom in the future, after the tribulation period, Amen. After the day of the Lord, we're not at that time right now in its ultimate sense. But in the spirit, we're already in the kingdom of God now. And, and people have a term with that. Well, kingdom, kingdom now or dominion theology. Well, I don't altogether believe everything that, that dominion theology teaches. But I will tell you this right now that we are in the kingdom of God now. That's what the Bible says. Okay. Okay now so the bible says this he's in he's a companion in tribulation he's in the kingdom and patient of jesus christ he was in the isle that is called patmos for the what for the word of god for the word of god and for the testimony of jesus christ why is he banished out there on the isle of patmos because of god's word and because of the testimony of jesus christ that's why he's there not because he's been preaching his own word But because he's been preaching the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, which goes contrary to all those pagan deities of his day. Amen. He's an apostle. He's a prophet. He's preaching the word. And the world doesn't like that. So just as they crucified Jesus, they seek to banish his apostles, kill his prophets. All right. So John, who is what? He's our companion in... Tribulation and in the kingdom and the perseverance of Jesus Christ is on the Isle of Patmos and the word Patmos Strong's 3963 literally means the place of his killing. So he's in the place of his killing and the reason why he's being persecuted is because of the word of God he's preaching. The reason why there's not more persecution today is because the Word of God is not preached. Philosophy of men is preached. Psychology is preached. Tickle the ears is preached. But if you preach the Word of God just as it is, there's going to be persecution, tribulation that's going to come. So he's out there on the Isle of Patmos, the place of his killing. Now, he didn't die out there, but that's what the word means. Now, Revelation 1 3. Now, watch this. This is very important. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Okay. This first chapter of Revelation, then, is a preamble. A preamble. The purpose of a preamble is simply this, is that his assembly obeys his will. When you look at a covenant, a lawsuit, a covenant lawsuit, it's set up. It has certain steps that are followed, certain procedures. There is uh, law, preambles in law, in the court of law today, they have preamble. All right? And it's an introduction. Okay, you with me here? And so what you, the book of Revelation is a, is a covenant of law, if you will. It's a, it's a lawsuit. Let me put it this way. It's a lawsuit of the covenant. And it starts out that way. If kings, are you with me, in the days of the apostles and even way back in history entered into a covenant, they had a certain document that was given based on that covenant. And so you had the king and his requirements on his servants. All right? If you're in covenant with me, says the king, then you have certain requirements that you have to follow to uh, stay in uh, proper covenant with me. Do you understand? Uh, In good terms of the covenant. You have to observe these certain things. You have to obey my will. If you do, then because you're in covenant with me, you will be blessed. But if you break the covenant and break the will and, and, and don't do, obey my will, then uh, judgment will come to those who are supposed to be my servants, keeping that covenant, then judgment will come to them. So blessing to those that obey but judgment to those who reject or disobey the king's covenant. Are you with me here? And you're going to see that. And so what the king would do then, he would give a preamble in this covenant. And basically what it would do would declare how powerful he is. Are you with me today? How powerful he is. How great he is. And not only that, but in that covenant In that preamble, the first part of that covenant, he would talk to them and show them how near he is. That he's powerful, that he's great, and he's imminent, which means he's near, he's at hand. Are you with me? And so in the book of Revelation chapter 1, then you have the preamble of the covenant, and it's going to show us the greatness of the king. And the purpose of the greatness and power of the king and his nearness is so that his assembly, his congregation will obey him. So his servants will serve him. So his servants will keep covenant because you are the assembly or the congregation of the great king. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. Amen. So when I talk about the covenant assembly here, I'm talking about the way the covenant is assembled. Chapter 1 is the preamble. That's the way it's assembled. But you are His assembly. You are His vassals. You are His servants. And, And Jesus is the great King who has great power. And He comes to you and gives you this chapter to show you how powerful He is, how great He is, so that you will obey His will and in obeying you will be blessed and in rejecting you will be judged hello church see we are he is Lord okay now those kings of of old they were physical kings and they brought a certain fear and reverence amen but I'm talking about the king of kings and lord of lords and I'm talking about God himself are y'all with me here today when you look at, when you look at uh, a covenant or a covenant lawsuit with a preamble, and I'm going to go through the book of Revelation. I'm going to show you this laid out. When you look at that, three things are always focused upon. Number one, creation. Are you with me? And I'm talking about the true king here, God. Okay? He is the creator. So the focus is going to be on the creator. Number two, upon his redemption. And number three, upon his revelation. So read verse 9 then, knowing that. It says, I, John, also am your brother and companion in tribulation. And in the kingdom in patience. It's a kingdom. He's the king. I'm in the kingdom, all right? And perseverance of Jesus Christ was in the aisle that is called Patmos for the what? The word of God or the Revelation. So the first, of this chapter is going to be the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself to us. Okay, you with me here? So it's creation, revelation, and redemption is going to be the focus of the preamble. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to you. But it should. It should, because that's the reason the book is given. Hallelujah. And so what John then in this chapter From God is doing is He's showing the church how important the covenant therein is, how great, how powerful, and how near the king is, and this that we need to obey the king of kings and the lord of lords and receive blessing. If not, then comes the judgment, especially in the light of the last days, in the days of John. Yes. In the days of the early church, yes. But especially as you see that day approaching. Are you with me here? All right, give God some praise then. Do you understand what I just said? So, the focus then of prophecy is the walk of the believer. God is concerned about his assembly or his servants, he's concerned about. What you do with what you know. He's concerned about our walking with him. He's concerned with our morality. He's concerned with our ethics. You watch what I'm telling you. That's why he's given this book of prophecy to the church. Because he wants you to walk with him. He wants you to be warned. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to understand how powerful and great he is. Having said that, I read to you Revelation 1, 3 again. It says, blessed is he that readeth. So the focus is on those that read it and that hear the words of this prophecy and keep or obey those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. It's within reach. Are you with me here? Revelation 16, 15. Again, the focus is upon the believer's walk. Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. See, you've got a responsibility as a vassal or a servant of this king that you keep your garments. See, today people want to blame everything for why they're not walking with God. They want to blame circumstances and problems for why they're not on fire. They want to make excuses for not having a prayer life. Make excuses for not worshiping him. Friend, you better wake up and you better shake yourself. You are in a kingdom of a great and awesome king. We can't be just, you know... Messing around, so to speak, with this. This is serious business, man. We're in a covenant with the Most High God Himself. And you and I are responsible. Look at your neighbor and say, you're responsible. Not the pastor. You are. Not your husband. You are. Not your wife. You are responsible to stay in that covenant, to keep that covenant, to watch, to be alert. And to keep your garments. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. You got to get rid of the excuses. The responsibility lies with me and you to keep our garments. And there's all kinds of garments. There's the garment of praise. There's the garment of salvation. Etc, etc. You are responsible to keep those garments and not let anybody take those garments. Well, if things were a little better for me right now, then I might be, you know, a little bit more fired up and praying more and worshiping. Listen, John said, I am your fellow companion, your brother in tribulation. He's cast on on the Isle of Patmos, the place of his death, after having been bold and hollow, tradition says. And he's exhorting and encouraging the servants of God, the assembly of the congregation of the great king to obey this great king. That's why he gave us the book of Revelation. It's not just to satisfy our curiosity. It's to wake us up, to shake us up, and tell us, and to warn us to walk closely to the Lord. And don't let this Laodicea spirit get a hold of you that keeps you out of the house of God, that keeps you from praying, that keeps you from worshiping, that keeps you from walking with this great king the way you're supposed to. The excuses are done away with. He tells you you've got to persevere. you got to overcome. Which means there's stuff you got to overcome if you've got to overcome. You've got to persevere. It's not unconditional, eternal security. It's not once saved, always saved unconditionally. Now, I believe in security. The security of the believer. I believe in that. But I don't believe in the unconditional, eternal security of the believer. God says, keep your garments. Be on the watch. Lest you walk naked and they see his shame. See, you should never get in a place where you feel comfortable. You should never get in a place where you are at ease in Zion. You should always be reaching for more and putting something in reserve and deposit that's going to help you make it through any battle you face. You've got to be making some deposits into your spiritual account. So the focus again of prophecy is not to satisfy our curiosity, but to admonish us and to warn us that we serve a great king. And if we serve him right, we'll be blessed. If we serve him halfway, or we reject him, or we're lukewarm, then judgment. Do you hear this today? Now, again, in Revelation 22, 7, we see this focus. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the saints. Now, why is John cast out on the Isle of Patmos? For the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Why is John in tribulation for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ? Why is he having to persevere or have patience for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ? And so Revelation 22 says, behold, I come quickly at the end of the book now. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings or obeys the sayings of the prophecy of this book. He starts out telling you why he gives the book. Then he ends by telling you why he gave the book. He's given it to his servants to warn them, to exhort them, to encourage them, to walk with God so they can be blessed and so they can be ready and so they'll have their garments on when he comes back. Now watch this. Okay. B- verse chapter twenty fourteen 14 says, blessed are they that what? Do his commandments. I thought we were in the New Testament now. And we don't have to keep the commandments of the Lord. Are you with me today? Here's what God says. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to, to the tree of life. Now, catch it. you got to get every word I'm giving you right now. Because we're going to build on this. That they might have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Now, we, we start in Revelation with the people of God or the congregation seen as seven golden candlesticks and the Lord standing in the midst. But by the time you get to the end of the book of Revelation, that golden candlestick has become a city. And the lamb is in the middle of the city. Are you getting this? But he said, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. There's a rite of passage. So you get born again of the water and the spirit. You're saved by grace based on what he did. But you still have to walk with him and obey his commandments to have access into that city. Hallelujah. John, why are you going through what you're going through? Why are you on the Isle of Patmos? Why are you in the tribulation? Why are you persevering? If all you got to do is just get saved and then just die. See, I, I don't want to just get saved. I want to be useful in his kingdom. I want God to use me. I want God to anoint me. I can't, I can't walk carnal and lukewarm and in sin and half backslidden and expect God to be using me and blessing my life. That's not the way it works. I don't want to just be saved. I want to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Now watch this. So the focus again is the conduct of the assembly. Colossians 24, we talk about tribulation. Now John, of course, was not in the great tribulation. Okay? Unless he was caught up there in the spirit. And he was. So if Revelation 1.9 says he was in tribulation, and it is the great tribulation, that he was caught up in the spirit and taken forward into time to that tribulation. To that time. Because the word is the same. But it could mean just a time of suffering in his day. Like Colossians 1.24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, says Paul. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. For his body's sake, which is the church. So there was a tribulation then, a tribulation now, and a tribulation to come. And it has to do with sufferings. You with me here? If you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. Let's just get real here. I know we live in America, and we want it all going our way. And suffering, you know, is foreign to us. We have a little bit of discomfort. Boom, we're just about ready to quit God. We're about ready to quit God, ready to quit the church, ready to quit everything for some little bitty, little bitty thing we're going through. Because suffering is foreign to the American church. I'm talking about real suffering. I'm not talking about because your car didn't start this morning. You you just felt like quitting God. I'm talking about real, real persecution of the church where you have to persevere. You have to overcome. I mean, your flesh is in turmoil. Your, Your soul is in turmoil. You're in great conflict. But you still overcome, not because you feel good, America is going to be slaughtered. I'm telling you, the church in America, if we move into this time, the church in America is so carnal and so lukewarm and so weak and so effeminate that there's no way they're going to stand in that day. Impossible. I'm telling you, mark it down. Lord, help me. Help me. I know some of you think you got it all tied up. You know, you got it all working for you. You got it all figured out. And you, you think you got it together. But I'm telling you today, you ain't seen no persecution. Luck's like going to hit this world in the great tribulation period. Well, some of y'all are saying, but pastor, I believe in pre-trib. Well, That's wonderful. You go right ahead and believe in pre-trib, but if it don't happen, you're going to have to deal with this. And that's why I believe the Lord gave the book of Revelation. He gives it to the churches. Revelation 2 and 3, over and over, he said, overcome, overcome, or persevere, persevere. Why did he tell the churches? Because they were in tribulation then. How does it apply for us today? Well, if we're the age that sees the great tribulation coming then those churches he wrote to are to tell us something. With me here? Okay. Revelation 1.6. The Bible says, He hath made us kings and priests. So we're in his kingdom. Hath made. Not going to make. Hath made. I'm already a kingdom of priests. You're already a kingdom of priests. The kingdom is already here now. In the spirit. He hath made us kings and priests. Unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I got a question for you. If the kingdom of God is not here today. Then how can Jesus be sitting on a throne of any kind? The Lord spoke to me this the other day. He said, if I'm not ruling over a kingdom right now, then how can I even be sitting on a throne? Because a a, a king don't just sit on a throne just to sit on a throne. A king sits on a throne to administer judgment. To operate his kingdom. Now, there's nobody I know anywhere that would deny that Jesus is sitting on a throne right now. And if he's sitting on the throne right now, that's the picture of the kingdom, which means he is ruling and reigning now. From the time of his ascension, when he ascended up and sat on the right hand of God Almighty, he's sitting on the throne from that day till now. And those apostles were in the kingdom. You are in the kingdom of Jesus right now. He hath made us a kingdom of priests. Are you getting the word? Ephesians 1.20. Okay, and I'm just going to give you this one, a couple of verses. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but... In that which is to come. He's, he's already over all dominions right now. In this age and in the age to come. It's not just the age to come. The glorious age is going to come. Come on, are you with me? This age right here is a reflection of the glorious age to come. The kingdom you're in now is a reflection of what's going to come in its ultimate sense. But he's already brought it in now, in this age and in the age to come. Colossians 1.13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. I've already been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. I'm not waiting for the kingdom to come. I've already been translated into that kingdom in the spirit. And in a sense, I'm waiting the ultimate fulfillment of it. But that's it. Colossians 1.13. Now, do you see that? Hath translated us. Now, Daniel 7. I know, the, I know prophecy has a dual fulfillment. One is to his first coming. Uh, other fulfillment to his second coming. Daniel 7 has a fulfillment in his first coming. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. Now, watch this. Acts 1.9 says, he went with the clouds of heaven. Associated with his first advent. Now, and we know this is a future time also. I saw in the night vision, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. Verse 14. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. He brought that in when he brought in the new age with his first coming. And he will ultimately establish it with his second coming in an ultimate sense. You got it? All right. So that's about the kingdom. So when John says that he was on the Isle of Patmos, but he was there for what? For the word of God and testimony of Jesus Christ. And he was in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance in Jesus Christ. Did you get that? The kingdom's already here now. Tribulation is here now, in a sense. Okay. Got it? Watch this. Perseverance is important according to the word of the Lord. We're in the kingdom. We go through things, but you've got to persevere. You've got to overcome. Seven times in the book of Revelation, the word patience is used, or perseverance. You have to persevere. You have to overcome. You have to keep going when you don't feel like going on. Let me give you the scriptures. Revelation 2 verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy perseverance. It's what Jesus says. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them. Which say they are apostles and are not. And has found them liars. Verse 3. And has borne and has perseverance. King James says patience. And for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. You didn't quit. You didn't faint, didn't stop, but you persevered, you overcome. You choose, we choose to overcome. We don't just lay down, well, okay, God, do it for me. In the word of the Lord, this unconditional eternal security is not in the Bible. The Bible tells you, you've got to endure to the end. You've got to persevere to the end, not to faint. Then he says in Revelation 3.10, Because thou hast kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And if you are pre-tribulational, then you would use that to teach that you were not going to go through the seven-year tribulation period. When we get to that chapter, we'll explain that to you. Okay, I've spent some more time with it and studied it some more. And we'll explain this to you, all right? But anyway, the focus here, because you've kept the word of my endurance or my perseverance, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Praise the Lord. It's good stuff. Next verse that's used in Revelation 13, 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the perseverance and the faith of God. The saints. See the focus of the book of prophecy, the book of Revelation? Is the perseverance of the saints. The kingdom of God and the perseverance of the saints. All right? Revelation 14, 12. Here is... Now, I know I'm going fast, but I have to. Here is the perseverance of the saints or the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You are his servants, you are in his covenant. He's the true king. The focus is obeying his will, right? Keeping his commandments. Revelation 1:10. Now, let's talk about the language here. John says, if you want to look at your Bible, you may. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, the Lord's day is what? We talked about it last week. Specifically, the day He set apart unto Himself, or the Sabbath day, or the day of His rest. But associated with that is the judgment of the wicked and the salvation of the righteous. Its its picture, its focus is the rest of God. So, He says, on the Lord's day, or the Sabbath day, or the seventh day, okay, according to the word of the Lord, as we used it last week, The Bible says he was in the spirit. Now let me bring it to you practically. You can't enter into the spirit if you don't congregate with the assembly on the Lord's day. If you don't gather together, come on somebody. If you're not resting in God, then you can't move in the spirit of God. And to get in the spirit of God is prophetic. It's prophetic language. It's not just a good feeling you get. We like the good feeling. We like the chill bumps and all that. Ooh, I feel good man. Holy Ghost and anoint. I feel good. But the Holy Ghost and being in the Spirit is not just for feeling. It's a prophetic language. He said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He's going to get a revelation from God, the King of this great Kingdom. He's going to get a revelation from this great and powerful king. Okay. He's going to be caught up in the chamber of God's counsel. And God's going to reveal to him. When he gets caught up in that cloud. In the chamber of God's counsel. God's going to reveal to that man things to come. So when you get get in the spirit on the Lord's day, you are literally caught up in the glory cloud of God. You are taken into the inner chamber of the counsel of God. And there God reveals things to you. See, a revelation or a mystery is not something, it's a puzzle I can't understand. Uh, A mystery is something that I can only understand if God reveals it to me. And so John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He's physically on the Isle of Patmos. Suffering in tribulation. But in the spirit he gets caught up. And he's taken into the council chamber of God himself as a prophet. And God reveals to him things to come in the spirit. He's caught up spiritually, not physically. The Bible says he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. Heard behind him, or he says behind me, a great voice as of a trumpet. So it's prophetic language. Let me give you a few scriptures to prove this. Matthew 22:43. 43. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord. When David wrote the Psalms, he called Jesus Lord, but he called him that in spirit. He wasn't caught up physically. He was in the spirit. All right? God revealed to him things. Now, in Ezekiel 2, we have the prophet Ezekiel. And the spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spake unto me. You with me here? So Ezekiel's in the spirit and God begins to speak to him in the spirit. Now, I don't know what he looked like. Are you with me? I don't know what John looked like when he started getting that revelation. I don't know what Ezekiel looked like when he start, God started speaking to him. But he went in the spirit somewhere that he was not physically. He went into the glory cloud. He went into the, the day of the Lord time frames. He, he moved beyond the present time frame and moved in the spirit dimension in the council chamber of God. There are dimensions that are beyond the physical dimension. He was in the spirit. So it's prophetic language. 2 Peter 1.21 For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Man is not smart enough to do this. Man doesn't have the brains or the intellect to figure this out. This has to be revealed to him by God. Hello, somebody. It didn't come by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. David said, "My tongue became the pen of a ready writer. God placed His word on my tongue, and I wrote down what He placed on my tongue. It's called inspiration, a revelation from God." So He says, "Well, He was in the spirit of the Lord's day. Don't mean He's just feeling good. He's caught up in the council chamber of God, and God is speaking to this man and revealing to this man things." Amen. See, just because it doesn't happen, you know, to you, doesn't mean it don't happen. See, everybody wants to gauge everybody's level of spirituality by their own spirituality. And just because it hasn't happened to them, it can't happen to anybody else. I got news for you. There are men that are taken up in the spirit and showed things by revelation. Okay, now watch this. So God's focus then is upon his church. And John's going to get this revelation so that he can preach it to the church so the church, God's assembly, can walk in covenant and will obey him. You with me at this point? Now, watch this. When John is caught up in the spirit of the Lord's day, the Bible says, he turned to see the voice in verse 12 that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Are literally seven menorah, complete menorah. And the Bible says that uh, Jesus was standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, verse 13, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. Now, when God manifests himself, he's going to do it, or when he reveals himself, he's going to do it in his church. Watch this. God... (laughs) God works through and in his body. If you want to find God, you got to get in his church. He is so one with his body that he, listen, in context here, he does not work apart from his body. If you're going to find God revealing himself or manifesting himself, he's going to be doing it in and through his church. He's standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And later we're going to find out that's his church. So if I want to find God, I'm going to find him in his church. He's going to manifest himself in his congregation, in his assembly. If he's going to work, yes, he does work through individuals. I I know that. But the Bible is showing me here that he works corporately through his church. So if I'm going to see God work, I'm going to see him work through you. If God's going to do something, he's going to do it through his church. Okay. And we'll see this vision that is it's also study associated with, associated with Daniel in a little bit. Revelation 1.13. I'm giving you foundation here, okay? It's taking me a while to get there. Just hang there. 1.13. In the midst of seven counts, six. one like in the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girded about the paps with a golden girdle. All right. So, in this covenant, God is showing us the revelation of God, how John got that revelation of God or that word from God. We find out that John is on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay? And he's in the kingdom of God. We found out that Jesus is in the midst of his church. And he's manifesting himself in and through us now. Do you understand that? John gets a glimpse of the Son of Man standing there. He looks and he turns and he sees the holy place. He sees the Son of Man standing there in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Which is what? He's manifesting himself through the church. But the way he looks is again stressing his greatness and his power and his redemption to you okay number one it says that he is clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle exodus 28 verse 4 talks about or exodus chapter 28 talks about the garments of the high priest here we see jesus clothed down to the foot the bible says with a garment He is seen as the great high priest here. When you study the high priest garments, it was all about radiance. It was all about glory. It was about the spirit. It was about the glory of God. It was about the fiery light of God. It's about the radiance of God so that when that high priest Walked out in those beautiful garments of different colors and gold. That light would hit those garments and it would radiate with a fiery light. So those garments speak of the radiance and glory in the spirit of God in fiery light. All right. So here we see the true high priest. Jesus Christ has got that garment down to the feet. And the Bible says he's girded about the paps with a golden girdle. Now, what's interesting about that is this. That according to Josephus in Antiquities 3, the high priest only wore that golden sash when he was at rest. He did not wear it when he was laboring. He wore it when he was at rest. Are you with me here? So again, connected with the day of the Lord or the the time of his rest. Okay. Okay. Revelation 1, 14. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. All this terminology is, is, is showing you anything, that he's the high, great high priest, that he's the ancient of days. He's the redeemer. as the great high priest. Verse 15. His feet like in fine brass as if they burn in a furnace. His voice... As the sound of many waters. Here's a reference to the glory cloud again. And not only that, but you are the many waters. His voice is like the voice of many waters. So again, he's manifesting himself through the congregation of his covenant people. Amen? Verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now, let's talk about these seven stars. They're linked to creation. We found out that this this awesome king in this kingdom, who we're a part of, is a redeemer. He's our great high priest. We have found out that he is the one who gives revelation. Revelation. Let's talk about him in creation. That's the focus of the preamble of the covenant, of the law covenant, or the, uh, the lawsuit of the covenant. watch this. When you talk about seven stars in his right hand, if you go to the word of the Lord, you'll see in the book of Job, and I'll give you these scriptures Job 9, 5 through 9, Job 38, 31, and Amos 5, 8. There is a reference made to the, the Pleiades. The Pleiades, are you with me here? Is in the constellation Taurus. Now we taught a whole series on the constellations of God in the heavens. The Pleiades are seven stars. That are in the bull Taurus. You with me here? These seven stars in Taurus. Are called the Pleiades. They are called the seven daughters of the king. Watch this. The seven daughters of the king. They're also called the assembly of the judge. And they're located in the shoulder for government. And the Syrian name for the Pleiades is Sukkot. Which means tabernacles. Which is connected with the rest of God. Or the kingdom of God. So it speaks of God's Government over his assembly, it speaks of the seven daughters or the seven churches, the complete church of Jesus Christ. Give God praise. It speaks of those who are the assembly of the Judge, and they're located in His shoulder. The government shall rest upon His shoulder. So it speaks of government. Are you with me here? The first constellation that is in connection with Taurus. We've already covered all this in detail, but just to show you right here, the seven stars, the first deacon or first constellation is called Orion. Orion is also known by the name of the light of the world. So here, the true light of the world is standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He's the true light of which only they are a picture And he's got the seven stars in his right hand, the Pleiades. Are you with me? Okay, I'm not going to repeat myself. But Orion means the light of the world. And his foot is seen standing on his enemy. And the sword handle has the body and the head of a lamb. So it's the lamb who has defeated the enemy, who has put his enemies under their feet. In his left hand, he has the head of a roaring lion. And the Bible says the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But the Bible tells me that this light of the world, this consolation, has defeated the enemy. The enemy is under his feet. And the way he did it was because he became the lamb of the world that died on the cross for us. And the Bible lets me know that he has defeated the roaring lion. He's got his head in his hand along with the skin of that lion. So God, see, symbolic language is trying to show you something. Jesus is trying to show you. He's got the seven stars in his hand or the Pleiades in his hand. And she's connected with Taurus the bull of whom Orion is connected to. Amen. And the second constellation connected with Taurus is the river uh, Eridanus, which is associated with fire. And it's a picture of salvation for the believer, but judgment upon the wicked. It's a picture of the flow of God through his people. But it's not just water. It's fire. The third constellation associated with Taurus or the Pleiades here in Taurus is the uh, Uraga, the shepherd with a she-goat. And that shepherd with the she-goat, that she-goat has just given birth to little ones. Lord, I can't almost be out of time. Am I almost out of time? Oh, I see what you're doing. Okay, I still got some time. (laughs) But this shepherd that's connected here has a sheep goat with little ones. It speaks of the atonement because the goat speaks of atonement in the word of the living God. Give God praise. And that, in that constellation, there is a name of that constellation, which means wounded in the hill. So the Lord's trying to show you by having those seven stars in his right hand, his government, his victory. His salvation, his defeat of the enemy, his kingdom being established, tabernacles, and the seven daughters of the king or the assembly of the judge is depicted in that that one symbolism. And if you go back to history, Roman history, you will find that the Roman emperors put seven stars on their coins. And those seven stars on the coins of Roman emperors were symbols of their authority and dominion. But I got news for you. They don't have dominion or authority. Jesus has dominion and authority. He's the one that has got seven stars in his hands. Not what the emperors claim for themselves. Now, can you imagine John writing this in that day? And the emperors are walking around jiggling their coins. And they got seven stars in their coins that says that they are the sovereigns and that they have dominion. And John says, no, you don't. Uh, Jesus is the true king. And we are a part of his kingdom. And he is our judge. We're a part of his assembly. And we walk in obedience to his commandments and to his word. And that's why I'm cast out here on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I'm persevering. No wonder they didn't like him. See, his rulership, his sovereignty, his kingdom is a threat to all the kingdoms of men. Whether it be religious kingdoms of men or whether it be political kingdoms of men or economical kingdoms of men. They're all threatened by the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And no wonder in verse 17, John said this, when I saw him, I felt at had his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Hallelujah. Give God praise. <laughs> Don't be afraid. He fell down as dead. Don't be afraid. That's what's going to happen to the wicked. They're going to be judged. They need to have sheer fear. They need to be completely afraid if they're not walking with this Jesus. But if you are a covenant servant, To the King of kings and Lord of lords. Then you will have salvation and blessing coming your way. Don't be afraid, John. Get up. You're a part of the covenant assembly. You're a part of the church of the living God. Don't be afraid. Because I'm the first and the last. Or I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the first Adam that died on the cross. I died as the first Adam on the cross. I rose as the last Adam from the dead. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last Adam. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of death, hell. Keys of hell and of death. I'm the first Adam. I'm the last Adam. I died as the first Adam. I rose as the last Adam. I'm the one that died, but now I'm alive. I live forevermore. And I've got the keys of Hades and death in my hand. Now, what's interesting to me is you you go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And the first Adam, it is believed, had the keys of death and hell in his hand. He guarded the gate of paradise. Give God praise. He had the key to the gate of paradise, it is believed. But when he sinned, he transferred the dominion of this earth into the hands, come on somebody, of an enemy. Give God some praise. He relinquished his right to the key, But the Bible though says that God placed at the gate... A cherubim with a flaming sword in his hand to keep the way there. And that doesn't mean just to keep them out, but to allow them to keep the way in, to come in by atonement or by the blood of the lamb. They could come back into the presence and the glory of God. They're in paradise for the garden. And so in a sense, the carabine had the key and the key was a flaming sword. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross as the last Adam, that sword was pierced into his side. And when he came up out of the grave, he had the key of death, hell, and the grave. And as the true high priest of God, he went back to the paradise of God with the key to the gate of paradise. And then he, the Bible says, will ultimately cast the devil into hell fire. Now the key is in the hand. He says, I've got the key of hell and death. The devil doesn't have it now. I've got the key now. And I've got the key to cast him into hell. And Adam was, Adam was driven out into death. He lost the key. But I came back and died in his place. And when I died in his place as the last Adam, then I rose from the dead. Uh, died in his place as the first Adam. And when I rose from the dead as the last Adam, I got the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And I'm the high priest who's gone back to the paradise of God. And now we'll cast the devil out. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. See, the emperors thought they had the power of the grave, they had the power of death, they thought they had the power of life and death. The Lord says, Don't worry about those emperors. They don't have the power, they don't have the government. I've got the government. The ruler in the synagogue doesn't have the power. I've got the power. Now you see the greatness of this king. Now go forth and serve him. You are his recreation. You are his assembly. Go out and obey his word and take the kingdom to the world and conquer nations for this king. Amen. Revelation 1 and 20. Let me read it to you. Okay, he gives us the interpretation, he says, of of the seven stars. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, we're going to talk about that. The the Pleiades speaks of the government of God, all right, in his hand. But he specifically calls them the angels of the seven churches. So we're going to find out, is that a literal angel? Or is that a minister of the gospel? Is that a prophet of God that God has raised up to sit in that house? Now watch this. It's going to be powerful, friend. You get ready. In Daniel 7, we see the same symbolism used Behavi he held the thrones. In verse 9, they were cast down. The ancient of days did set, whose garment was white as snow, and his hair head like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his, eye, his wheels are burning fire. Now his throne is on fire, not just his eyes. But here in Daniel, his throne's on fire. I'm thankful tonight that I'm a part of the kingdom of the living God. His throne's on fire. 710. A fiery stream issued. There we go. There's that consolation I talked to you about. This fiery stream that's connected with the Pleiades here. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. And thousands, thousands ministered unto him. These are the congregation. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the judgment was set. And the book was open. And then Daniel saw in 10.5, he saw the glorified Christ again. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of ufahs. In verse 6, his body also was like the barrel. His face as the appearance of lightning. And his eyes as lamps of fire in his arms and his feet, like in color to polished brass. And the voice of his words, the voice of his words, the voice of his words, like the voice here of a multitude there, Of many waters in Revelation. Verse seven, I, Dan alone, saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision. Come on. But a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Verse 8. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision. And there remained no strength in me. For my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. And I retained no strength. Same thing that happened to John. John fell at Jesus' feet as a dead man. Jesus has to raise him up. He literally has to resurrect him in resurrection power. And say stand upon your feet. Same thing happened to the prophet Daniel yet I heard the voice of words. And when I heard the voice of his words. While I was John cast out on the Isle of Patmos? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Then while I was in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. Verse 10. Behold a hand touched me which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hand. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak unto you and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Daniel 7.21. He said, I beheld the, the same horn made war with the saints. Persecution to come. And prevailed against them. Verse 22. And the ancients of, until, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the most high. That's who you are. And time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest. I'm going to go back to the government of God. In my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Genesis 37 verse 9 talks about the, the stars. They are a picture of God's government. 37.9. He dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren, said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. This picture of the government of God. Verse 10. He told it to his father, to his brethren, to his fa- and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is the dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to, thee, to the earth? So the stars speak of government. Judges 5.20, it says the stars, they fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sesera. In Daniel 8 verse 9, and out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. Verse 10, and it waxed even to the host of heaven and cast down some of the host of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Verse 11, yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Did you get that? Jeremiah 15, 19. We're talking about the stars here. His government. Now, let's talk about the prophets of God. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou return, then I will bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. Did you hear what he said? He's talking to this prophet now. Catch this. Because true prophets of God will always call God's people to what? To return. A false prophet does not call God's people to repentance. A false prophet does not call God's people to return. They don't. They're psychologists. They're philosophers. But true prophets always call God's people to repentance. Give God some praise. He said, let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. Now watch this. This is powerful. They are seen as in the chamber of God's counsel. Watch this. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Jeremiah 23, 16. Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not of the mouth of the Lord. Give God some praise. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost here today. This is what the false prophets say. They say, steal unto them that despise me. They say, everything's okay. Just be, it's okay. Just be still. You're all right. You're okay. That's what false prophets say. The Lord had said, you shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you." Verse eighteen, "For who hath stood in the council of the Lord, and hath perceived and heard his word, who hath marked his word and heard it? Prophets are caught up into the council chamber of God, and they get the word of the Lord. They don't go around saying peace when there is no peace. They don't preach safety when there is no safety. They don't tell people everything's okay when their life is in a shamble and their life is in sin. And they're on the way to destruction and damnation. They call the people to return unto God. Because they go into the council chamber of God Almighty. And they get revelation from God. that they come forth and deliver it to the people of the Lord God Almighty. Give God praise. <sighs> What an awesome privilege it is to be that woman or that man that's caught up in the council chamber of God where God speaks into their life. Direction for his church. He said, behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury. Even a grievous whirlwind, it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. Get this. 21, I have sent these prophets. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Give God some praise. They're professional preachers. They know how to put a sermon together, but they don't know how to hear from the Lord God Almighty. Give God some praise. He said, I haven't sent them. Verse 22, but if they had stood in my council, if they had been caught up in the glory cloud, if they had been taken up in the council chamber of the throne of God Almighty, if they had stood in my council and caused my people to hear my words, why was he cast out on the Isle of Patmos? For the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doing. Give God some praise. Jeremiah 23 23, 23. Am I God? Am I a God at hand? saith the Lord. And not a God afar off. See, he's talking about his nearness and his distance. That's what even John's talking about in the first chapter. All right, watch this. Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. They are caught up into the council chamber of God. <laughs> Give God some praise. <laughs> And their primary activity is to call the people of God to repentance. Are you hearing the word of the Lord God? And mediation. They are hooked on prayer. They are hooked on intercession. That's all they're God will raise them up in the church. Say, Come on, church, sing the Lord God, pray in an intercession. They're driven by that because they love to be caught up in the counsel of the Almighty God. So, uh, intercession and mediation. Abraham was a great prophet of God. The Bible said in Genesis 18, 17... Uh, Amos, we, we found out that God's not going to hide anything from his prophets. In 1817, this is the first time it's mentioned. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? The answer is ultimately no. I can't hide from Abraham what I'm about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know the story. How Abraham stood before God and intercession and mediation before God. These men are very powerful. They have the, uh, the, the power to literally change the mind of God. They have the ability. God determines to set an action in course. And these prophets stand in his council chamber. And they intercede and mediate for people. And God repents of what he was going to do. That's powerful, powerful authority. That's powerful government. So Abraham is a prophet of God. He intercedes and he mediates. And God, instead of completely destroys them, he literally talks and counsels with Abraham. And Abraham talks to God about what God's doing. In fact, if you don't believe Abraham was a prophet, Genesis 20 verse 7, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. And he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou, that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. God said, I'm going to bring judgment, and I'm going to kill. But if this man intercedes, he'll change the whole situation. So prophets call, true prophets call God's people to return unto Him. And they intercede and they mediate before God and change the mind of the Almighty. Lift your hands and praise unto God right now. Watch this. In in the book of Amos, if you read the whole chapter 7. You'll see the prophet Amos interceding before God and God changing his mind. 7-2. It came to pass, when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land. Then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. And the Bible goes on and says, and the Lord God repented. God changed His mind when the prophet entered into the council chamber with God and talked God out of that judgment. That's why Isaiah 4:18 they're called His friends. But thou, Israel, art my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham my friend Abraham was a prophet and a friend of God that's a powerful position to be in when you can stand there and talk to God and God said I'm going to do this but since you talk to me I'm going to do it differently that's powerful and so seven stars in his right hand speak of those men or prophets that God has placed over those churches They, they are responsible for the conduct and the action of that assembly give God some praise in this house Prophets have dominion over nations. Jeremiah 10. See I have this this day set thee over the nations. And over the kingdoms. To root out. To pull down. And to destroy. And to throw down. And to build. And to plant. They got dominion over nations. Give God praise. So they're not just always building up all the time. Sometimes they got to pull down. Isaiah 6.6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he set it upon my mouth. He set it upon my mouth. <laughs> and said lo this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged prophets are purged prophets are transfigured morally they are transfigured ethically and also physically watch this Exodus 34 29 and it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand. When he came down from the mouth then Moses wished not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. He physically changed. He looked like a star. <laughs> He looked like starlight walking in their midst. He, come on, Isaiah was transfigured morally. This man Moses was transfigured physically so that he looked like a star when he came down off of the mountain. No wonder God likened to those ministers of the gospel in his hands. He called them angels, which simply means messenger. He said when he looked on his face, he looked like a star. He radiated with the glory of God. You've got some praise in this house. And why does God send the prophets? Why? Why does He send a prophecy like the book of Revelation? All right, let me give you the scripture. 2 Chronicles thirty-six, fifteen. And the Lord God of, the, of their fathers sent to them by His angels. The word, there, angels," he said, "messengers" in the King James, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Give God some praise. <laughs> Verse 16, but they mocked the angels of God or the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets, John cast out in the Isle of Patmos, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy. Come on somebody, give God praise. And now, 3:1, 3, 1, behold, I will send my angel, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Hello, temple of God. Even the messenger of the covenant, or the angel of the covenant, whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And there's a the host of heaven. physical host and spiritual host in the earth realm and in the heavenly realm. Now watch this. Go back to verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars without thou sawest. in my right hand, the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches. The seven candlesticks without saw us are the seven churches. We are his body. We are recreated in his image. He is directing us to right action. That's why he gave us this prophecy here to show us his greatness, to show us his power, to call us to right action, to call us to perseverance, to call us to endurance, to call us to return. He gave us this prophecy so that we would prepare to meet our God. He gave us this prophecy to warn us, don't let anybody take your crown. He gave you this prophecy so that you would keep your garments and you would watch. Now in closing, We are His recreated body. We're supposed to go forth and declare His kingdom in all the realms of the earth. Give God some praise. And because of that, Matthew 24, 9 tells us there's going to be great persecution. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. In verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. Verse 13, but he that shall endure, or he that shall persevere unto the end, the same shall be saved. See, God, is Jesus bringing it all together. Matthew 24 and Daniel 7 are just really a commentary in the book of Revelation. That's all they are. He tells us exactly what's going to happen. Verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. He's talking about great tribulation. John said, I was in tribulation. He said, "This kind of time like never been before." In verse twenty-two, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect, the elect. The covenant assembly, the true church, the true elect of God is who he's writing this to. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened, literally kalabo, kolabo which means uh, literally to shorten or to amputate. Are you with me? God's going to shorten the persecution. Jesus is going to shorten the persecution of the church. When does that happen? When He comes back in radiant glory as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, a fiery glory of God seen there, and then He consumes the Antichrist with the brightness of His coming. That's when He collabos or cuts short the persecution of the church. God's trying to tell you: you got to persevere, church. You got to overcome, church. Kalabo. Kalabo. I want to do this real quick. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I couldn't get this on my computer. So I just I printed it out. It's on Kalabo. It is a the theological dictionary of the New Testament. This is what it says about Kalabo. It means to maim. To maim. Mostly limbs. With account of the effect of the one concerned. In the New Testament, we find it only in Matthew or in Mark and Matthew. Are you with me? God has already uh, about cut short the time of the tribulation in Judea. That is, he has made in it shorter than it would normally have been in terms of the purpose and the power of the oppressors. If he had not done so, even those who prove themselves to be the elect by their faithfulness and who have been wonderfully kept thus far would be brought to physical destruction. This interpretation is supported not only by the uh, Mark thirteen and twenty, and also by uh, whole Mark and Matthew, Apocalypse or APC. I believe that's Apocalypse. In the preceding section, we read only the physical oppressions which Christians are to escape so far as possible. To be sure, false messiahs seek to confuse them, but they will obli- they will obviously have no uh, no success against the elect. Perhaps with the assistance of, and I'm going to read Mark thirteen eleven in a minute in contrast to Matthew 24:12 these will remain steadfast up to the perusia the perusia and they are the coming and they will thus remain alive and up up to their final gathering or episonago even those who have fled the explanation given in may perhaps be linked with this that is powerful that's exactly what i've been preaching to you and i'm preaching you the persecution to come but God's going to cut it short when he comes back splits the clouds of glory and he peruses us he comes back and he gathers us up unto himself then he will destroy the antichrist and he'll cut short the persecution Matthew 24 says give God praise In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, let no man deceive you. The same thing Jesus said in Matthew 24.3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, apostasy first. The day of the is not going to come until the apostasy comes. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now watch this. People are going to fall away. They're going to fall away because the, the pressure's too great. They won't endure. They won't persevere. They're going to fall away. Come on. They have a profession of Christ, but they don't have a possession of Christ. And because of that, when the stress comes and the tribulation comes, are you with me right now? Many are going to fall away or apostasize away from God. See, we don't know who we are until we get under pressure. Anybody can live for Jesus when everything's going your way. But when the pressure comes, and persecution comes, and difficulty comes, and tribulation comes, many will be offended and fall away into an apostasy. But the Bible says in verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his parousia. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish... Why? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's the whole purpose of prophecy. <laughs> that you might receive a love for the truth that you might be saved. The Bible said that they perished because they didn't receive a love for the truth. Second 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Why is he cast on the Alapamas? Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Stand fast. I'm looking at you, church, right now, and I'm telling every one of you, in the name of Jesus, stand fast. Stand fast. Stand fast. Stand fast. Hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. And look at the focus on the word again. Matthew 24.4 And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, Sam, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. They're false prophets. And if any man obey not our word, this 2 Thessalonians 3.14, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Matthew 24.13, but he that shall endure, persevere unto the end, the same shall be saved. Mark 13.11, last verse. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand while you shall speak neither do you premeditate but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak but the Holy Ghost stand up and give God praise today give him praise for the truth you're in the kingdom You're in tribulation and endurance that's in Jesus Christ. Be thankful you're in his congregation today. Be thankful that you're in his assembly today. Be thankful that you've not apostatized today. Be thankful that you know him today. And if you don't, return unto God your maker and your redeemer. For he is a great and powerful king. Who speaks to you today to let you know the importance of obeying his word. And that will bring blessing to your life. Disobedience brings the judgment to you. Lord Jesus, I thank you right now for your awesome presence in this house. And if anybody in this house, God, is not full of the Holy Ghost, fill them with your spirit right now. Right where they stand, oh God, fill them with the power of the Holy Ghost renew those oh God that need to be renewed those that need to return unto you oh God that they would return those that need to repent oh God tonight this morning God would repent and get right with you Jesus and understand God the hour in which they live I thank you today Jesus for catching us up in the glory cloud your awesome spirit that is in this house You said you'll spit out the lukewarm out of your mouth. That they are nauseous to you. You will spew them out of your mouth, oh God. Let not one among us, God, be lukewarm Laodiceans. But let us be on fire and full of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. you've come under temptation you've been tempted to go back to your own world tempted to go back to your old lifestyle of sin hear the word of the lord today god is calling you today he's calling me today the lord god himself is in the midst of his church right now he's standing in the midst of you now take an assessment of all who are gathered here this morning father i sense in my spirit that there are those that stand here lord they need to rise up in their walk with you they need to repent they need to turn from their evil ways Lord help us God we need to stop making excuses for our lukewarmness help us O oh God I pray we made up our mind to obey you O oh king we are your servants we are your people God to me this is not just a word this is a reality to me God you're here in this place I preach like you're here I believe like you're here I move like you're here I repent like you're here I accept your will like I know you're here Lord right now God the name of Jesus the name of Jesus Let that river of fire flow out of you. Let that river of fire right now flow out of you. Despise not prophesying. Quench not the spirit. And despise not prophesying. In the name of Jesus. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee. Lord thy God in the midst of thee. I give you praise, Lord. I give you praise. I give you praise. Dear Lord, go ahead, God. <clears throat> Matthew twenty four, twenty five, the Bible says, Five wise, five foolish, five foolish, had just enough oil for a while. But they ran out of oil. And were unprepared. They did not endure to the end. Five wise. Had oil. But brought extra oil with them. They had oil in reserve. They had something on deposit. That would carry them through a time of darkness. Lord, I just praise you right now for your presence in this church. We're thankful, we're thankful, we're thankful, we're thankful, thank you for catching John up into the council chamber of the Most High God in the Spirit, that he could bring back to the church, your body, us, show us things to come. Your focus is upon the walk of the believer. I love you today. I thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. But right now, Lord, I thank you for the fear of the Lord. I thank you for giving me a fear, a reverence, a respect, an honor. Drive me into your arms, God. In Jesus' name. The unity of the church is found in Jesus Christ standing in the midst of them. Right now, would you go to somebody, lift their hands to heaven, and pray for them? As the Lord stands in the midst of you right now, bringing you into unity as His body, as His covenant assembly. We have not come here to play church. We have come here. We are the church of the living God. Lord, I pray for those all in this congregation right now that need to persevere. All through this congregation right now. Those who need to endure. That need to overcome. They need to conquer the foes in their life. The demon powers that assail them. The flesh. The world. God, we're all weak. Our flesh is weak, Lord. I'm weak without you. My flesh is weak, God. But I praise you. Because greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world. don't be ashamed to lift up your voice like a trumpet don't be ashamed